0: Welcome to Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Here we've distilled our normal Sunday service into a call to worship, a prayer, two readings, a sermon and an organ outro for you to listen to on your way to work, out on a walk or wherever. If you feel so inclined, you can support our work by going to firstchurchbelfast.org and clicking on the donate button. We really would appreciate it. Here is this week's Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Good morning everyone and a very warm welcome to this, our service of worship here in First Church Belfast. Come rejoice for we are in the presence of the Holy One. We turn our eyes and hearts towards the light of love. Be glad and find comfort in the Eternal One. We delight in gathering as a family of faith. With open minds and hearts we celebrate this day of life. Together we will sing our praises. We join together today in prayer and this, because we're close to to St. Patrick's Day, this will be a prayer from St. Patrick himself. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of the cherubim, in obedience of angels, in service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in preaching of the apostles, in faith of confessors, in innocence of virgins, in deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven. Light of the sun, splendour of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of the wind, depth of the sea, stability of the earth, firmness of the rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me. God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from the snares of the devil. From every afar and near, alone or in multitude, I summon today all these powers between me and evil, against every cruel, merciless power that opposes my body and soul. Christ, shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that reward may come to me in abundance. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. And we pray the prayer that Jesus taught when he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day this, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning.
1: The current uh, Port Laureate, Simon Armitage, Has written a poem about the invasion of Ukraine which focuses on the pain of displacement. In the poem titled Resistance he says is it is a refracted version of what is coming at us in obscene images through the news. The poem repeats the words it is war again to highlight the repetitive horror of war throughout history. It does, however, end on a note of hope. Resistance by Simon Armitage. It's war, again. A family carries its family out of a pranged house under a burning thatch. The next scene smacks of archive newsreel, platforms, and trains. Never again, never again. Toddlers passed over heads and shoulders, lifetimes stowed in luggage racks. It's warm, again. Unmistakable smoke on the near horizon, mistaken for thick fog, fingers crossed. An old blue tractor tows an armored tank into no man's land. It's the ceasefire hour. Godspeed the columns of winter coats and fur-lined hoods. The high wire walk over buckled bridges, managing cases and bags, balancing east and west. Godspeed. It's war, again. The woman in black gives sunflower seeds to the soldier, insists his marrow will nourish the national flower. In dreams let bullets be birds, let cluster bombs burst into flocks. False news is news with the pity edited out. It's war again. An air raid siren can't fully mute the cathedral bells, let's call that hope.
2: Good morning again, everybody. Lovely to see you on this lovely spring morning. Um, spring always brings us hope. And in the current situation, as we heard from Des, we could all do with a bit of hope at the moment. So nice to have the sunshine, the daffodils, the beautiful flowers uh, in church today as well. Um, and as Richard said, I'm really looking forward to um, our new partnership with Malvern Primary. And um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be taking the harp in um, and playing and helping some of the children really think about how music helps you with expressing your feelings, your emotions, how it it helps. Music can heal, it can inspire Um, and something like the harp, which is obviously always so so lovely to look at as well as to listen to, it'll give them a little bit of an uplift as well. Um, For you today, for your inspiration, I have three pieces all to do with spring. The first one is uh, very famously uh, from Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Vivaldi, as I think those of you were, who were here for the, um, the service, uh, the, uh, the anniversary service for, for the church, he would have been around when this church was founded. Um, I will be playing the Allegro Grazioso from spring, uh, which you may well recognize. Um, and then the second piece in this little group I'm playing is uh, variations on the song. Um, Je suis encore dans mon printemps. I am still in in the spring of my life uh, by Louis Spohr. Spohr was a 19th century composer. He was a violinist, and his wife was a harpist. So he wrote a lot of music for the harp as well. Um, In the second section, I will be playing um, a beautiful arrangement of the traditional lark in the clear air, uh, which is something we can enjoy in springtime as well. So I hope you enjoy the music today. The only thing that I can
3: do is to take a look at the data. And I think that's a really important part of the question.
0: Thank you to Tanya and to Richard for leading us in the music and it's encouraging to hear the musical outreach that is going to be done in Malvern Primary School. As Richard said there's a long history, long connection between this church and Malvern and it's lovely to see that connection being re-established and also thank you to Des for bringing us a very timely and appropriate uh, poem uh, for these these times our second reading comes from the very tail end of Matthew's gospel it's a very short uh, reading now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Amen. Ireland celebrated St. Patrick last Thursday. But how many of us can really say we know who he was, or even how relevant he is in today's society. St. Patrick is not only the patron saint of Ireland, apparently he's the patron saint of Puerto Rico, Nigeria and Montserrat, which gives him a somewhat universal recognition in the church and in the world. And every year on the 17th of March, in almost every country of the world, people celebrate their Irishness. Or their links with Ireland through family and friends and Patrick is probably the best-known saint around the world. Not only are many people named after him but many establishments and institutions and churches are called after him. St Patrick's Cathedral in New York is probably the most famous of all and of course we have one of our own neighbours St Patrick's Church in Donegal avenue or road, just round the corner here. By all historical accounts, Patrick was captured by an Irish raiding party somewhere along the west coast of Britain. It was more likely Scotland because of its proximity to Ireland, although many people say he came from Wales. And we know that there were boats leaving from Larne at that time, around the year 426 AD. And thankfully, p and had nothing to do with it, so they all left on time. Patrick apparently was grabbed and brought to Ireland as a slave. His job was to tend the sheep at night in case of wolves or foxes or even wild bears would come along to take the sheep or their lambs. And he did this on the slopes of the Slemish Mountains in County Andrum and although Patrick was only 16 years old when taken into slavery he was able to escape six years later and returned home and he recounts a dream or a vision he had in which the angel of the Lord came in the night and told him of a ship that was leaving Ireland and how he might be able to make it by traveling south towards Dublin and by this stage Patrick who was often cold and hungry Had spent six years in virtual isolation away from people and he was lonely and he turned to prayer and he prayed non-stop asking for God to deliver him in fact it would be fair to say that Patrick had become somewhat something of a mystic by this stage so intense was his life of prayer and his constant communication with God And he arrived home to the delight to the delight of his parents and was reunited with his family and his friends and later on he began to realize that he had a vocation to the priesthood or some ministry of prayer in the church at this time the church was already established in Ireland there was already an archbishop of Armagh by the name of Pallidus Ireland was not ecclesiastically independent at that time that came under the jurisdiction of Arles of front in France and Patrick often thought about the Irish and prayed for their conversion to the faith and during his time in Ireland even though he was a slave he had developed a profound relationship with God and a great ability to pray and later as he himself said in his confessions he was tormented by the voice of the Irish whom he had heard calling in the night, come back to us, Patrick. Once Patrick was ordained as a priest and had learned Latin and French, he asked to be sent as a missionary to Ireland. He had great missionary zeal and soon became Ireland's second Archbishop of Armagh and primate of all Ireland. And he set himself two goals, First was to evangelise the pagan Irish and the second one was to set up ecclesiastical structures and dioceses with a view to achieving independence from Arles, which was supporting the missionary activity in Ireland up to that time. And to do this without modern infrastructure was incredibly difficult. Patrick was not deterred by hardship. He knew what his mission would be And how difficult it would be but he trusted always that God would deliver him and so he went about his work in Ireland he preached daily about the kingdom of heaven and he baptized many people and those who excelled in their faith he ordained as deacons leaving them in charge of the prayer and the various liturgical ceremonies of the churches while in other cases he ordained many devout men into the priesthood. And many of those people that he baptised and ordained left Ireland as missionaries. Some were bound for Scotland where they set up the very famous monastery in Iona. Still others went to France establishing a monastery in Brittany which still exists today. Yet others went to Spain. St. Patrick died in Armagh in about 461, after 29 years as Archbishop in that Archdiocese. Well, what can we here in the 21st century learn from the story of St. Patrick? What is there to take away from this man, especially on on, uh, St. Patrick's Day, other than shillelies and green Guinness? What we have from him are two of the oldest pieces of Latin writings on these islands the Confessions and the Letter to Coroticus. Car- and the first, the Confession, shows his humility. And the second demonstrates that Patrick was no pushover. And in both those documents, which most scholars believe to be authentic, we get a sense of who Patrick was. As a man. And two things about his life jump out and I think we would do well to take note of them. The first is his commitment. Commitment is a bit of a dirty word in modern times, especially in church circles. You can walk into any large congregation up and down this land and you might be overwhelmed with the numbers of young people and young families in the pews. But as with all things, looks can be deceiving. Go up to the minister or pastor or priest and they might tell you that while there are umpteen clubs and organizations going on it can be difficult to get people to commit to taking on leadership roles and responsibilities within them and the pressures on time that people face today means that many big churches struggle to get people to sign along the dotted line and often it's left to the older members in a congregation to keep things going. The story of Patrick is a story of commitment. When the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez landed at Vera Cruz in Mexico in 1519, he was intent on conquest. To assure the devotion of his men. Cortez sent fire to the, his fleet of 11 ships. With no means of retreat, his army had only one direction to move, and that was into the Mexican interior. Cortez understood the price of commitment, and he paid it. Patrick's commitment was a little bit different. Once you've stripped away all the hagiography and the myth, you're left with the tale of a man who was once a slave, who escaped his captivity and who returned home and found contentment amongst his own people once again. Contentment, and yet he was not truly at peace. His commitment to the people who once held him in captivity was more than mere weasel words. He didn't just mouth his loyalty to them while remaining at his gîte in France. He demonstrated his willingness to live out what he believed by returning to Ireland amid all the dangers and uncertainties and to serve the people there. The second thing that jumps out about Patrick is his, is his ability to adapt. In truth it does appear that Patrick was reasonably successful at winning converts. Familiar with the Irish language and culture He adapted traditional ritual into his lessons of Christianity rather than attempting to eradicate native beliefs. He used bonfires to celebrate Easter, since the Irish were used to honouring their gods with fire. He also superimposed a sun, a powerful symbol for the, the native people, onto the Christian cross to create what is now the Celtic cross. And without the ability to adapt his message it is probable that Patrick's mission would have been less successful than it actually was. He didn't take a one-size-fits-all approach to faith and then imposed it on others because he realized it would have killed its stone dead. And maybe that's the secret to existence, the ability to adapt. One quotation that's often wrongly attributed to Charles Darwin is the survival of the fittest. It was actually Herbert uh, Spencer who coined that phrase. And it's thought to mean that only the strongest or the fiercest or the fastest will survive. But what Darwin was actually getting at was only those creatures who were able to adapt to a changing situation were more likely to survive. And go on to reproduce further generations. For faith to carry into the future it needs to be able to adapt to evolving situations. It needs to take those basic premises that hold it together and give it substance and to rework them in a meaningful and relevant way. And that's why progressive faith is more difficult to deal with than a fundamentalist understanding of religion. Fundamentalism approaches society with all its answers pre-prepared and pre-digested. Progressive faith takes time to think, and even then may not furnish people with an acceptable response. St. Patrick's Confession begins, I am Patrick, a sinner, most uncultivated and least of all the faithful, and despised in the eyes of many. And maybe he was. But he was committed. He understood that reading we had from Matthew 28 to have been fulfilled, as it was thought that Ireland was literally the ends of the earth, the last of all the nations. And he was flexible and could adapt. And the world was never the same after him. Amen. St. Patrick's Day uh, Blessing May your days be many and your troubles be few May all God's blessings descend upon you May peace be within you and may your heart be strong May you find what you're seeking wherever you roam May the strength of God pilot us May the wisdom of God instruct us May the hand of God protect us May the word of God direct us. May thy salvation, O Lord, be always ours, this day and forevermore. Amen.